Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, I'm the guest, and John Robinson has very kindly stepped up to interview me. We're going to be talking about referrals, how to get them, why they're important, why you want to get more of them, and how to turn them into part of your compensation. Before we get stuck into the conversation, are you the owner or CEO of a tech company with the goal of generating an annual recurring revenue in excess of 20 million. But right now I'm helping companies just like yours achieve real and sustainable, profitable hypergrowth with highly engaged and productive employees and clients who stick with them year after year. If you're up for a brief conversation, I'm happy to share some of the ideas and strategies that can help you achieve the same. Email me, marcus at laughs-last.com. John, thanks very much for meeting up with me today. Over to you. Uh. Yeah, very happy to do so. I love the introduction, by the way, very succinct Thank and you. to the point. Uh, so I guess I'll start off with an obvious question. Uh, why uh, engage or get referrals when you can cold call? <laughs> I think that's a really <laughs> basic question, and I suspect the obvious, uh, yeah, the answer might be obvious, but let's go through it anyway. Great question. So why get referred rather than cold call? Cold calling is brilliant, but warm calling is significantly more effective. And if I can increase my odds, typically about one in 20 or fewer sales cycles and buying cycles end up in a purchase when it's gone in cold. However, when it's gone in warm, it's one in six. You know, if you've got a 3x higher likely conversion rate, why wouldn't you? Makes perfect sense. And I to think about that. Who is it that should be doing... Or asking for referrals. You know, we've got teams of uh, salespeople and SDR, some of them doing cold calling, and that's a speciality. Should they also be looking for referrals at every stage? And if so, where should they start? Absolutely. I, I think you should be asking for referrals every point of contact. Sometimes it may not be appropriate. But again, I, I feel that salespeople who don't create a referral habit, both giving and getting, then they end up working a lot harder. If you need three times more in the pipeline going cold than you do hot to hit your quota. And let's face it, if someone is referred to you by someone that you know well enough to justify uh, trusting their judgment versus someone just interrupting you, you're already shortening the sales cycle. You need fewer prospects. You need to make fewer dials. Even if you're getting through only one in 33 or one in 46 times from cold calling, if you've been referred, you might get a personal direct number or a mobile, as opposed to having to go through the switchboard. So again, I'm all in favor of double the money for half the work. If you can do less but better and still achieve the same or a better outcome, why wouldn't you? Yeah, I think that's a, a fair point. And I think you touched on there or perhaps hinting as to what's to come in the conversation that there's a process to be discovered here. It's not necessarily doing this haphazardly. So what is a way to kind of systematize this or make it a predictable feature of uh, pipeline generation? The first thing you need to be clear about is who your real customers are. And it starts with a really clear understanding 
of the outcomes, the jobs to be done. If you work backwards from the outcome, you get a much straighter path to the customer that you really need and want, because these are the people that you are perfectly well set up to serve best. They're not the ones that are sort of an 83% marginal fit. They're 99, 100. Um, These are the people who can buy multiple products and services from you for many years, and they are likely to want it across multiple parts of their business operation. So through their family tree, their supply chain, even customers, customer. There's all sorts of ways that you might be able to expand within an account. And referrals are an obvious extension. If you're doing a good job and you're helping your customers achieve their intended outcome, getting the job done, then they don't have any reason to go out and look for an alternative. It's when the job isn't getting done that you start to see unconsidered needs. It's where you start to see workarounds or you start to see people who have gone back to a manual or their old system after having, you know, the company having blown thousands uh, on every license for the new shiny toy. But they find it gets in the way. Because if you look at some CRM systems, for example, they're really set up as part of an audit function to help managers control the sale and control the pipeline. Uh, And for finance to be able to audit what's going on so that they can make allocations of money or maybe report bad news. So there's a lot of emphasis on these things that need to get done. And you can see the clues in executive pay, for example. How do senior executives get paid in the short term and the long term? If you understand that, you can start working backwards to the jobs that need to get done. Because the compensation drives the behavior which is intended to deliver the outcome. Right. So how do we go about connecting the jobs to be done to uh, asking for an explicit referral? This is great. Because what we do is we look for other people who also contribute or help those jobs to get done. These are natural, uh, a natural potential referral partner for you. These could be strategic alliances. They could be a channel. They could be, they could even be a direct competitor or an indirect competitor. In my world, a lot of people help companies make money, save money, be more effective, be more efficient, hire, retain. So all of those could be my competition. Recruiters, banks, venture capitalists, referral companies, SEO, marketing. These all have relationships with people I want to sell to. They're all targeting the same people as me. So why would I not try and go through a warm relationship where someone who is trusted by both sides is making the introduction? There, that's even better than a warm referral. Most people actually are looking for being introduced to leads, a name and a telephone number, a little bit of background, and off you go. What I would really like is to be hand-delivered by someone who is trusted by me and trusted by the buyer. Because then I've got about an eight to nine times out of 10 close rate. Makes sense. You mentioned there's a lot of different kind of segments or different parts in that um, complex system there, you know, venture capital or specialists in different areas. 
so I'm thinking that uh, perhaps networking uh, might be a way to do this. How does networking compare? What's you know what's the ups and side and downsides of say networking compared to uh, precision referrals? It sounds like re- referrals might be a lot better way to go than networking. Is networking. A great way to get a feel for the market if you network in the right circles. You get shunted to the people that you sound like. You get referred to the people that you sound like. Your customers, your pe- people refer people like themselves. So if you're finding that you're not getting referred to the people that you want to get to, the first thing you have to do is look in the mirror. And then you can go to networking events and practice your positioning, your, your introduction, your discovery, your diagnosis, all that kind of stuff. So I, I found networking incredibly useful as a testing ground. It was also a great place to develop a personal brand. And you need to develop relationships. And let's face it, a lot of people have been relationship starved over the last couple of years, and they're craving in-person events. So I suspect conferences and exhibitions will be a great place for you to plan to meet people, but use that as a springboard to get referred. And the way to do that is to structure a conversation. And so I like to have a conversation with people, teeing up the idea that we will do this on a regular basis, assuming that there is a natural fit. So there's something along the lines of, John, I don't know about you. I'm intensely lazy. And if there is a way to avoid hard work like cold calling, I'll find it. Now, I have a system that enables me to predictably generate pipeline through referral and recommendation, which I'm happy to share with you. And assuming at the end of that, we both feel that there's a good enough fit, would you be open to exploring the potential of a referral partnership? The obvious answer is yes, of course. You know, we are, <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you what's if we involved. Can shortcut that, yeah. Let me tell you what's involved, because it's not for everyone. If we meet, if we do this, we'll probably meet every six to eight weeks. And between then and now, we will spend time getting to know one another, build the intimacy part of the trust equation, because we need to understand how credible the other person is, because one problem that can creep in is something called referral remorse. Mm. Have you ever made a referral and wish you hadn't? Yes, many times I've introduced people to certain uh, businesses and services and people that and it's a strange thing. It's not necessarily that my judgment was off, but it's people change over time. People move on, they read new things, they change their ideology, and they become very different people to who they were last year. So sometimes even that can happen. And yeah, I've often thought, oh no, you know, that reflects quite badly on me because Absolutely. in some way I feel that I might have misjudged it or the person's changed and, you know, done a 180 on where I thought they were. So sometimes I begin to question my own judgment. So... The golden rule and the platinum rule of referral marketing. The golden rule is referrals are a privilege, not a right. The platinum rule is that the responsibility of the person being referred is to protect at all costs and under every condition the referrer's 
relationship with the prospect. Even if their pen is hovering over a contract, you pull it and rip it up if that's what they ask you to do. Because your job is to protect their relationship first. Okay? Yeah. Now, the diamond rule, and God got it wrong, is people want to be treated the way they want to be treated, not the way you want to be treated. Your appetites may be somewhat kinky or different, but they're not theirs. And if you don't understand the jobs that they want to get done, that they need to get done, if you don't understand their motivation, then chances are you're going to sound like everyone else when you turn up because you will be relying on features and functionality. And in your market, the odds of you being wildly different are low, unless you're a disruptor, in which case you suffer from lack of credibility. You can't have it on both sides of that curve. Um, So when it comes to things like working out the jobs to be done and understanding motivation and trust, what kind of things do we need to do in practical terms to develop trust over time to either increase our credibility or to understand people's motivations? These kinds of things that kind of create the circumstances through which then we can earn the right and the privilege um, to ask for these referrals? Well, first of all, a lot of people believe that you have to have done some whiz-bang work and they have to be cock-a-hoop with the, you know, the results and everything else. I don't believe that's the case. In, in fact, I get referrals off suspects and people who've told me no on a first meeting, and th- that has turned into business. So first of all, you have to have a little bit of chutzpah and um, you know, a bit, bit of cojones to do it and ask. And I, I like to make referrals part of my compensation. I make it clear to my clients that if they want time with me, I have to have the time. And if I have to put food on the table, I have to make a trade-off. Either I can spend time with them or I can spend my time prospecting. If they bring me prospects, I have to spend, I have more time to spend with them. Yeah. Which is a wonderful thing because then there's many feet on the street keeping an eye out, listening for the questions that I'm priming them with to listen out for. Because I know that my customers have very specific issues. And if those are triggered, all they have to do is make the introduction. And it's easy for them. And people like to do that, especially if you've given referrals first. So I make it a habit by 11 o'clock to have given two referrals a day. I kind of sense there was some reciprocity uh, in there. So that leads me to a question. Uh, What's the difference between giving and receiving a referral? You have to give without any expectation of receiving. And if you do receive, it's a privilege, not a right. And your job is to protect the referrer's relationship with the prospect above everything else. And you've got to make sure that in the giving, you are thorough. You match those two human beings up. Because remember, by the time three people are involved, there are six relationships going on. There's each one with themselves. There's each one with the other, uh, one of a pair, and then there's the three. And that makes for very confusing relationships. So you need to be clear that you understand the other person, the referrer and the prospect. 
That means you need to spend time with the person referring so that you can protect their relationship. Do your due diligence. Make sure that you're informing them of what it is that you do and asking questions of the prospect in order that you can help them see if there is a fit. And then together, work out how best to approach that prospect. Would they prefer written, telephone, in person? Are they social or less social? Do they like detail? Are they big picture? Are they results orientated or people orientated? Mm -hmm. Find this stuff out because it's important that you understand who you are selling to. Um, Spend time trying to diagnose what kind of problems they might have. Maybe spend a little bit of time doing some research on their company. Um, Spend some time doing research on their competition. See if there are any patterns there. So when you speak to the person referring you and you're doing your strategizing and planning, you can go equipped with some data-driven, insightful answer uh, questions that help the executive move their thinking forward, help them see a problem that they never realized that they've been living with, identify a way to eliminate waste or replace multiple legacy systems that are no longer fit for purpose. But you can only do that if you do the diagnosis. Don't just take a referral and say, oh, give John Robinson a call. Just mention my name. Uh, He'll take your call. That's not a referral. That's just you trying to fob someone off with a little self-ego rub. Uh, Yeah, I think we're going to hopefully get into the process in a a few moments. Uh, I just want to know how effective can referrals be as a strategy in terms of you know, route to market. Where does it fit yeah. in with that kind of thing? Uh, well, put it this way. I haven't made a cold call since 2004, which I am very proud of because I've saved myself countless hours of dead time. The, the average sales development rep, an SDR, spends three minutes a day speaking to another human being that you pay them 35 to 55 grand to do. That's out of 480 minutes, you get three minutes of infected work per day on average. And this is off 80 million cold calls a year. So it's a good statistical base. And you look at the dial ratios, you know, 33 to 46 dial attempts to get through to one senior executive. Well, if someone's made the call on my behalf and the other person picks up because they recognize the caller ID and it's John Robinson, they think, bloody hell, it's John. Let me take that call. I'll walk out my board meeting or my proctologist exam uh, to do (laughs) this. And they take the call because they trust you. And you're the other end of the phone saying, Fred, got someone you need to meet. Reason is, and we've spent time thinking about their problem and we enter into their world. I know you've been having a problem with retention and customer churn. So the net effect is you don't have coverage and your targets are down. What if Marcus can help you resolve that over the next 90 days? Any reason why you wouldn't be up for lunch? Yeah. He's fine. Because through all the gatekeepers and uh, all the anxiety with that, it's uh, a direct, reliable, trusted, well, introduction, referral, uh, however we're going to describe it. Over the last 17 years I was uh, in my franchise, my average cost of customer acquisition was £36 on an £18,500 order. I mean, seriously? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, wow. That's pretty good. 
I'm not likely to get even that kind of return if I was lucky with a Google ad. Yeah. Yeah. Just pick up that million, yeah, that that, that million dollar email. Ah, that's that it. That's yeah, it's so much more reliable. And then they've, so, yeah, they've got all this noise. They've got email. They've got cold oh, calls. Yeah. Uh, they've got content. They've got marketing blur being thrown at them. And I want to be quiet and still be heard. Um, I, I want to say, I know no one who knows me will believe this, but I want to say the least amount possible to get in front of them so that we can work out together, is there a way that we can help them get the job done better? And it's not just them. There's an entire community. When I understood that, that opened up how I get referred and to whom, because now I know that there is a syntax, there is a buyer's journey. They make space when they first realize they have a problem. Well, what if I've been the person who helped them to realize that there was this unrequited need? I want to be first to mind because 74% of sales are won by the vendor that drives the buying vision. 74%. So I want to be that one, which means I need to be marketing to my customers months, years before that I expect them to buy. And this is why quarterly reporting is insane, because it doesn't play to how human beings actually make purchase decisions of importance. When you think about it, but Bob Mester tells this beautiful story of interviewing someone who made a spontaneous purchase of a mattress in Costco. And his behavior was remarkable because he got to the end, spotted this mattress, prodded it a little bit, and then went all the way back to the beginning to get a flatbed trolley so that he could buy this mattress spontaneously, allegedly. But when Bob Mester interviewed him, that initial spark happened four years ago after they spent $2,500 on a really expensive mattress top, and it started to sink very quickly. And he started to get neckache and backache, and he was getting buyer's remorse almost immediately. But he couldn't get rid of it because he was attached to two and a half grand. And his wife wasn't uh, getting the pain until she did. And this is when you start going from making space to act uh, passive looking. Okay. He'd already started doing the passive. They went into active looking when another center of dissatisfaction, his wife, had neck ache and backache. And they were waking up in pain thinking, let me take three painkillers because this really hurts. And tired because they haven't slept well. Because the job to be done was a good night's sleep. And so when he walked past this, after four years of going through this misery, and he'd done the research, he knew all the sizes, the springs, memory foam, and everything else. Then he touched it and thought, oh, yeah. And the wife said, well, go ahead. How much is it? $696. We'll take it. So what? It's not a risk. Now, that's the reality of how people buy. And I want my referrals to allow me to network because I want to understand that buyer's journey. And if I understand that buyer's journey, from John, I can get referred to Fred. From Fred, I can get referred to Shane. From Shane, I can get referred to Antoine. From Antoine, I can get referred to Tamara. From Tamara, I can get referred to Jim. Yeah? And all that way, I've never really had to make that gargantuan heavy lift effort of cold calling. Now, sometimes I have to augment it 
with a, a coldish outreach. But actually, I've found that slowly, slowly catchy monkey. So by being able to reference someone else who they are very likely to know or know well, or maybe two or three people through LinkedIn, that's a good way of softening it up. And then I invite them to invite me to call them. And I give them a link. And when my calendar's working, they then book it. Yeah, they yeah. volunteered. I haven't put the, any pressure. Okay, I got you. Um, so can we can we talk a little bit about the actual uh, mechanics and how yeah, this actually me, plays out? In, absolutely. In I, okay. I think um, on one of the previous calls in the community, you talked about the inner circle, outer circle uh, methodology. The, the inner circle, outer circle is a really interesting one. It's effectively, you have a, an inner circle, a sanctum of people who would know you by voice. They'd recognize your number or it would be in their phone and they'd pick up. If it was you, they'd take the call and they trust you. You trust them. There's intimacy there. And these are people who, if they referred you, they'd probably take the meeting. Yeah? Yep. Yes. Now, the outer circle have a more distant relationship. There's, it's more uh, acquaintance. It can be up to acquaintance. They can be friends, but they wouldn't necessarily be close. And so within the inner circle, I'll typically be trying to find somebody who would be a really decent referral and would most likely be the, you know, be, be the hot prospect. But in order to open up their database, I have to go outside of the circles. So I asked them to think about one person, living or dead, that they would love to have dinner with or love to meet. Who would that be for you, John? Oh, you're putting me on the spot now. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. Who, who would it be Sagan. for you? <laughs> okay, well, I, I don't know. Someone like Carl Sagan would be fascinating. Richard Feynman. Yeah. Good uh, Genghis Khan. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> Uh, we're, we're, we're in a shark cage, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I could think of, uh, you know, any any number of business gurus, but it would certainly be interesting. When you ask that question, is it just to kind of loosen up a person's mind or is it to, to it, kind it's of introduce just like it? A stretch subject, before a run. It's a stretch before the run. Right, okay. Uh, obviously, you know, me with my athletic physique and everything, using these sporting analogies. But yeah, you, you're just trying to limber them up uh, to open them up. And then you ask for, I like to ask for them in pairs. So tell me, who do you know? And then I'm going to think about a symptom that they're likely to be able to recognize and an industry. That's it. So who do you know who maybe runs a, an accountancy firm? They're the, the owner, the partner, and they... They've got a lot of customers, but they're not making a lot of profit. And they seem to work themselves to the bone around January for you know, annual filings. And they're likely to end up having a heart attack if it carries on for many more years. Don't suppose you know any accountants like that, do you? Hmm, yeah. I mean, that's quite specific. That narrows it down. And I think you'll either get a yes or a no. Yeah. from that kind of question yeah but again it make it easy for people by being you know two or three quick filters now with your referral partners what i like to do is i like to build up a a canvas of uh what your ideal prospect looks like so i'll do housekeeping 
And these are typical characteristics like there'd be job title, role function, size of company, turnover, trading, uh, number of years trading, typical, uh, you know, other in Microsoft or an AWS um, environment, you know, whatever it happens to be for your world. Um, and that's the housekeeping stuff. But I also like to build in there uh, stuff like values, ambition, uh, honesty, creativity, whatever it happens to be for your world. I, I want to know what my hero client looks like. Because okay. I want more of them. I mean, imagine how good it gets when all you're doing is the best work that you do every day and you're working with people you love to work with. The work you do has great impact. It's important and meaningful work. You get fantastic feedback. Time flies, and when it's over, you can't wait to do it again. I mean, how good does that get? Oh, it sounds pretty good, you know, um, building your own world, creating your own mini empire with people you uh, like and trust and want to work with. From what you're saying, that it seems like I'm already taking into account these factors when I'm speaking to somebody who's about to give me some referrals. So it's not just about perhaps, you know, do you know any accountants that are struggling at the beginning of the year? But perhaps we can also throw in a value or two as well to filter mm -hmm. out people that we definitely don't want to work with, you know. So uh, we're not yeah. talking about the unscrupulous creative accountant. We're actually talking about an accountant who does good work for people who, you know, he, he works too many hours or she works too many hours because they are so diligent with their customers um, yeah. and they're kind of uh, taken advantage of a little bit. You wouldn't happen to know anybody like that kind of thing. Exactly. So what, what I'm looking for uh, with the housekeeping questions is to get um, a, an easy reference. But then what I'm also going to look at is where's the competition? Because these represent alternative ways to address the jobs to be done. So who competes directly with me and who competes indirectly with me? Because they solve similar problems. They solve problems around effectiveness, efficiency, speed, generating hyper growth slowing things down, putting systems in place, whatever it happens to be. If I do any of those things, any of those alternate providers could also become great referral partners. Because in fact, for years, I've worked with competitors. And if I fail to sell, I'll give them the dead lead and I'll brief them and I will phone the prospect up and I will say, John, have you managed to solve your problem with X yet? And if they say no, I say, let me introduce you to my closest competitor. They're very good. Maybe they can help you. Why would I not just build the goodwill? The market's yeah, sure. huge. Do you know how big my market is? There are 9,932 MarTech vendors. There's nearly 2,000 sales enablement platforms. There's hundreds of thousands of trainers, coaches, business consultants, all of whom feeding this market. And none of them seem to be fixing the real problem. Why? Because what they're trying to do is fix symptoms. Now, the beauty of working with referrals is you start to also see who is adjacent to you in those alternates. Because what you can do then is start to create an ecosystem where many of you could club together to solve a really big, messy problem for your customer. Yeah. And this so that's uh, rather than solving symptoms or the kind of incremental steps, it really offers like a, 
you know, scaling possibility because you're bringing in many different disciplines uh, to, yeah. to bear at once, which seem difficult to organize or provide through yourself. But if you bring it in these adjacent partners, then the multiplier effect seems to be greater than the sum of its parts. This then speaks to the really important question. Are we dealing with individual problems or are we dealing with complex interdependent problems that are intertwined where the rules change, the stakeholders differ, whatever you try first probably isn't going to work. It's a series of uh, hopefully non-fatal experiments. Um, There are no perfect um, solutions, only imperfect outcomes. And you're constantly iterating and trying to get better and better and better. Well, what if those wicked, gnarly, meaty problems that are the making or breaking of many uh, organizations and careers, what if you could actually resolve them once and for all? I like to think of this like open source for go-to-market. The beauty of open source is you only have to fix a problem once. If you spend time with your referral network and you're diligent in collecting people who share your values, you care about the customer's problem, you really care about the job that the customer is trying to get done and you want to work together to try and resolve it. And you get many eyes on the problem. What happens is you come up with far more elegant and sustainable solutions with fewer unintended consequences. Now, given that we are heading into the worst recession in history, inflation is going crazy. You've got interest rates skyrocketing. You've got supply chain issues, which are definitely not going to go away. Even if you onshore or near source or whatever you do, it's still going to be problematic. What are you doing to collaborate with your competition? One of the things I used to do was these dead lead swaps. It's a great way of building goodwill, but also sharing intelligence about the market. Why would you not work with your competition when the market is so huge? And if there's only two, you know, if there's only two customers and they only buy once every 10 years, yeah, I kind of get it. You carry a sharp knife. But for many of us, we spend far too long worrying about the competition instead of thinking as the customer and working with them in partnership with other providers to solve their problems. Mm. And this is where your network can be really powerful. Because even if you have nothing to sell, you can bring value when you've got yeah, I, I, uh, At the risk of getting slightly off topic, it seems as though under these kind of conditions, uh, people talk themselves into a little bit of fear. And with fear, it seems that people contract, uh, withdraw, become suspicious, less trusting, kind of antithetical to the conditions that we're talking about here. So is there anything that people can do to self-check or strategies to not go down the fear route, but instead to go into this kind of expansion mode of increasing the potential for their businesses through referrals and networking? Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing is check your intent. Why are you turning up? Are you turning up because you want to sell to or to the network or because you want to get them to give you a referral? I see this a lot with vendors. The founders may be quite driven, money-orientated. They love to win. They win at all costs. And they sometimes forget that that's not really how a lot of other people work. But they've grown up in this dog-eat-dog, Gordon Gecko, Maggie Thatcher kind of environment. And there's a lot of that in... Gen Z, uh, not Gen Z, but Gen X and um, baby boomer generations. Mm. 
that's kind of the legacy of the industrial age and com- competition. And the net result of that is what you end up with is a lot of people who don't really focus on the customer and the customer's need. Now, if you start really thinking with your competition, with your partners, with your customer about their real problem, the job they're trying to get done, the obstacles, the challenges that they're facing, the lack of progress or the progress that they are making, the imbalances that are occurring, you can start to really diagnose that actually there's a sequence of events. There's a ripple effect. Um, so it, it's, it's like a, a network of activity and it ripples out. And if you can identify upstream where some of these problems intersect and tackle those there, preventing them from happening by maybe coaching or putting a system in place or creating ground rules so people know when they can and can't make certain decisions. And by doing that, you make it easy. That makes sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, I'm down with that. To go back to a point though, we started talking about a few moments ago with the inner circle. Once we've got the names or first names of people, um, you know, in that inner circle, you know, we've asked for, you know, accountants that are in this particular circumstance, overworked, you know, doing it because they're putting their clients ahead of their own needs sometimes and working long weekends. And supposing we've got that list now, what do we do then? How do we actually... Let let me clarify, because I didn't do a very good job. So the first thing you do, in a circle of people that you're close to, so... These are people, John, that would pick up the phone because it's you. Um, they've got a business. Maybe they're an accountant or whatever. Um, then I'd ask for two uh, p- uh, pairings of three or four more clusters. So someone who might be in a creative industry. They might be in media. They might be in publishing. They might be in design, packaging, SEO, marketing. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah. Ideally, and I might talk about age or where they are in their life, that kind of thing. Then I'd pick two more, then two more, then two more. And I want first names only because that represents no threat. No company, no surname. I can't look them up on LinkedIn, no telephone, uh, no email. Then what I would do... To talk to them about. Yeah, exactly. Then what I would do is I'd say, John, if you were me and you were the luckiest person alive and you had my job, who would be the first of these eight or ten people that you've put their first names down, who would be the first one that you would call tomorrow morning? Mm-hmm. Why right, would so that's a um, top of mind exercise. You know, it's kind of almost asking them who's the most important to them, who do they think of first. But yeah. it's asking in a polite and oblique way that's non-threatening. Exactly. And so you go through that process and then, again, discover more about the human being. Tell me a little bit about Fred. Is he big picture or detail? Is he fast or slow-paced? Is he people or results orientated? Mm-hmm. So I can understand his communication style. Uh, I can understand um, his likely orientation in terms of priorities. How do I introduce information? If he's results orientated, I have to talk about results stuff. If he's people orientated, I have to talk about people stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's obvious. People buy for their reasons. And my job is to meet them where they are. So I'm trying to make that as easy as possible. Yeah, well, I think we can also ask, you know, why Fred over Mac? Yeah. And that creates, there's the question that asks the difference. And then you can understand, you know, uh, what your referral partner is sorting for. You can get to understand their values. Oh, you know, well, you know, Fred's more reliable than so-and-so, but so-and-so, 
yeah, you know, he's pretty good, but, you know, he's a little bit haphazard. So then you can get to understand how their hierarchy works and uh, you pick up extra information by asking for the difference. Exactly. And, and so, again, be patient. When you're developing your relationship with your referral partners, I, I like to take three or four meetings before I really get into a referral partnership. I want to hear their story. I want to hear why they're in business. I want to understand what they want their business to give them in life, for them, their family. I want to hear about the kind of work they love to do. I want to hear about the mistakes that they've made, the business they're trying to build, their vision, all of this stuff. Then I want to hear about examples of the work, what they're really good at, where their superpower is. I want to understand who I can refer them to in terms of their adjacent partners. Because that helps me build my ecosystem. And when I turn up, if someone asks me a question about, can you refer, do you know anyone who? Chances are, within one or two generations of my network, there is someone who does that, who does know. Because I've got 20, nearly 25,000 followers, I think, and 20,000 connections. Now, that's not massive by LinkedIn standards by any stretch. But when you consider each of those knows 150 people, and each of those knows 150 people on average. That's pretty much the planet. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I really like the bit about getting to know the referral partner. It brings context to the referral and you can understand how it fits. And uh, you also can get a sense sometimes if the referral is a little bit off. It's like, this is strange, you know, it, you know, it doesn't quite fit with your story, what's going on here. So yeah. it, it brings a context, it fills in the picture. I like that. Uh, and again, it, it's taken time to build the trust and to be diligent about the relationship. And they can get a sense about you as well and the fact that you're going to preserve the relationship over any referrals that, for whatever reason, we wish to withdraw at any time. So then exactly. credibility and trust to that. This is where you start creating the ground rules that, that work between you. So, you know, this is where you explain that, you know, referrals are sacred. They're a privilege, not a right. You have the right to pull the plug at any moment. If you phone me up and Jim's pen is over the contract or he's halfway through signing, I'll rip it from under him and I'll tear it up. Okay, but what what are the rules in terms of how we engage? Well, you know, every six to eight weeks we meet up. I like to do it over lunch because I'm a greedy bugger. And over lunch, we talk about our business and what we're doing and how our business is changing. Because again, a referral partner today is not necessarily going to be right in six or 12 or 24 or 36 months because your businesses will go in different directions over time. So your referral partners need to stay current. But I want to understand how to refer them. So I want more stories, more context, because that makes it richer when I make the referral, because I can tell those stories on your behalf. I eventually want to be able to do your 30-second introduction in such a way that is data-driven, because it's based on what you and your referrer know about that account and the research that you've done into them. And they then introduce you so it's them making the call, not you. So it's not a stranger, it's a friend making the call. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, that's the next part of this plan. So you, you've got the list, you've worked it through, you've checked off uh, that the, the persons that they're about to make a referral to you are, are Build a, a long and, list. And... There's a step before. Build right. the long list, uh, yeah. maybe using one or two, uh, two or three filters. 
So CEOs based in the Southeast in tech, yeah, and maybe get 30, and then refine that list down to maybe eight to 10, and then have the strategizing call where you're doing the back and forth about the individuals, and then John phones his contact on my behalf, and I phone my contact on John's behalf. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So what would those conversations sound like then? So you're making the introduction. Um, John, I uh, want to introduce you to Fred. I know that last week you were talking about pain, 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 pain. And I, I've known Fred uh, for a couple of years. I wanted to make sure that it was a, the right introduction. Uh, he's recently done a project with a company just like yours, done this. This was the outcome over this period of time and managed to generate a 46x ROI. Would it make sense to tee up a conversation? Uh, yep. And so then you, you know, if they're open to that, I take it that's um, an entry in the diary. And uh... it is, again, if it's name and telephone number and use my name, you might get one in 10. It might be fractionally better than a cold call. If you phone up and say, you've got to speak to Marcus, that might be about 30%. Okay. If you phone up and you say, uh, you've got to speak to Marcus because, and you give a compelling, relevant example, and I turn up and I deliver against the expectation, that's about a 70% conversion. If you turn up with me and chew the fat for five, 10 minutes and then hand over to me and we follow our rehearsed plan, that's about a 90% conversion, which is so much better. Than yeah. Yeah, no, we like those. We like those. <laughs> I, I, I want to do less but better on purpose. I want to do double the money for half the work. That's my motto. Uh, speaking of which, is there a tool that you use or prefer or like a bit of tech to manage these kind of referrals and track LinkedIn. where you are in your list? LinkedIn and the diary. Yeah, so, you know, making notes on the kind of things you're looking for, the values and situations that people have told you about potential referral targets you just make notes in the diary uh, if i'm being honest uh, if i were more diligent then that's what i should do what it's working honestly i mean I, I have done so little work in prospecting for 20 years it's almost a sin when i hear how much work other people put in for so little return it genuinely hurts my heart uh, yeah yeah do we have time to run through a couple of other things that you yeah. mentioned elsewhere and the caps and the rice squared model? Rice squared was something that um, the Referral Institute created uh, years ago. And essentially, it's a framework. You know, it's, it's an agenda. Develop a relationship, identify the long list of prospects, then narrow that down, strategize, then execute the plan, and then evaluate, so give feedback. And this is really important. And be diligent with this. And in fact, I, you know, to my shame and embarrassment, someone gave me a great referral yesterday, and I thought I'd press send when I uh, responded to let them know that the meeting had gone. And I saw this morning it hadn't. And I feel terrible about that because you know, this was a great referral with a perfect prospect, and I feel such a, a total heel because I've broken my own rule. Sorry, Jerry. <laughs> Uh, ask for forgiveness. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And the, uh, so how's your experience, by the way, been with this commitment to make two referrals before 11 a.m. every day? Um, is it getting easier or are you 
searching further afield or is it becoming more comfortable? I've, I've been doing experience? it for about 12 years. So I've done, it, at first it was hard, but my network wasn't as big. And the beauty is when your network grows the size mine has, lots of people want to talk to you, which is really cool. And I love it. So you get to know lots of people and you can, you can make great referrals. If I do a day that I did give less than seven to 12, I'm surprised if I'm being honest. Yeah, wow. I I give way more than I get, which I'm perfectly happy with because actually, why wouldn't I want more people to be successful and thrive? Uh, The economy stays afloat and everyone wins. I mean, if they they win some business from me, I don't really care. There's more prospects out there. I see it, rising tide and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the CAPS model. Um, well, I, I remember this vaguely, but could you run through that again? Yeah, to, to, again, this is the housekeeping characteristics. Alternatives is other people who could be referral partners or competition, but can also be, and this is the section I love best, that can be unplanned budget. If they've got a bunch of consultants in and they're doing a shit job, take the budget. Yep. If they've just spent a load of money hiring salespeople who don't work out, they're going to fire them anyway. They lose two and save 10. That's the alternative section. Payoffs is important. You can, you can make sales very good living and make lots of sales using pain. It's very difficult to sustain a customer unless there's a lot of payoffs. You know, they need the upside. You, you get urgency with pain, and pain outsells gain 12 to 1. But what that tells you is the gain really has to be 12x higher just to turn up and play. Those are table stakes. So you've got to think about payoff as well, because people move towards a better future. They want a better future. Our job with referrals is to help people work out how you can give that to them and help them give it to others. Because by referring you on, they look good by introducing you. And you yeah, borrow yeah, that credibility. Their credibility as well. And yeah. it's those ripple effects that we were talking about earlier well, as well. If they make the introduction, you borrow their credibility. But their credibility is enhanced when the introduction is good and you deliver to or above expectation. And so this is why you have to be meticulous in your planning. This is why you have to be thorough and why you actually have to give a damn. You can't turn up just trying to see people as a, a walking ATM machine. They're not. They're living, breathing human beings. And you have a responsibility to treat them fairly, with respect, with humility, with compassion. And that's something that's sadly lacking nowadays. Yeah, so that brings us almost full circle to the biosafety model, which uh, exactly. I know you're a huge advocate of. Did we finish the CAPS model? Was the, what's the S? Yeah, and, 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 and well, P, P is payoff for the pains, um, and then S is symptoms. So these symptoms are... Um, presenting uh, issues. They're surface indicators that a layperson would probably be able to identify. You know, uh, the sales floor is silent in the morning. Well, the only thing you can hear is the clinking of spoons on cereal bowls. Yeah. Yeah. No one phones. You you walk the sales floor and all you hear is the tapping of keyboard. There's no conversations. Too many people are in the office and this kind of stuff. Those are clues that tell you something's rotten in Denmark. Maybe they are hitting quota. But if if I see those symptoms, it's a really good probability. If I ask the question, so John, tell me, out of the 10 salespeople you do have, how many are consistently 
at 100% or above quota. Well, you know, it's a tough time. All I've got to do is just flush out the excuse, yeah? And as a referral partner, I want to get really good on behalf of my partners being able to diagnose whether it's real or not. I don't want to give them duff referrals. Because if I give you three referrals in a row and you don't close them, chances are I'm going to get big referral remorse and it'll go cold. Yeah. So I need to put money in your back. Otherwise, I will stop giving you referrals. And I want this partnership to last for a long time. As long as our businesses are still aligned, I want this partnership to last for decades. Because that level of intimacy will have a shorthand. And I will know 100% that when you give me a referral, that is priority. Yeah? Yeah. Nothing else gets in the way of a meeting that John sets up for me. Yeah, that must be a, a lovely place to be. Uh, it's hard, though. God, it's hard. Because yeah. yeah. you've got to train each other constantly. And you, know, you want them to be able to effectively do your sales for you and you for them. Yeah. Because what's yeah. really interesting as well is when you're selling on behalf of someone else with no vested interest, and this is the interesting thing, the minute money gets involved with a referral, it becomes a brokerage arrangement. It's not referral. Yeah, you're getting paid for the, the introduction. So I don't get paid for introductions. I make an introduction because it is right for both sides. That's my rule. Now, yeah. when that's the case, then people know that if I make a referral, it's on the money. And out of the last 100, I can honestly say maybe two have been slightly off. Yeah, that's not bad odds, though. And, you know, the... To be realistic about it, you're not, not everyone's going to go sweet. Things happen. People change oh. circumstances. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's still pretty good, though. If you spend time understanding both sides, and this is why you've got to put time into culturing these relationships, mm. you don't need more than four to eight to fill your pipeline constantly. I mean, it, on average, when I do this with my referral partners, I get between uh, three and 10, averaging seven referrals each. Okay. Now I can handle 20 clients a year. Okay. If I get 28 referrals every six to eight weeks from my four referral partners, I'm going to be doing a full-time job, but that's not why I'm in business. If I wanted a full-time job, I'd have got a full-time job. Yeah. (laughs) How much time do you think it's worth giving to nurturing these relationships on both sides to be if you're not in front of the customer, you should, be refer- you should be prospecting. Um, so, and this is prospecting, but it's more effective and more efficient. So I would spend as much time as humanly possible engaging with people who are either selling to, listening to, serving, or understanding your customer. And, if you, uh, and the rest, spend in front of the customer. In an ideal world, spend 80% of your time in front of the customer and get them to be your referral partners. That's even better. Have them refer you to the rest of their organization and to their suppliers and their JVs and their accountant and their lawyer and everybody else. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Life's too short. So, John, thank you. I, I hope this has been useful. Almost overwhelming in many ways. Um, I'm probably going to have to listen to it myself a couple of times. <laughs> so I'm just, I was going to ask, you know, if there's any further thoughts, is there anything I should have asked? 
think anyone else needs to know or books to recommend, or I, I think we might have covered it pretty well in, in that hour. Um, I think just be really clear that you're not giving leads, you're giving referrals. And a referral is a personal, hand-delivered introduction because it's right for both sides. Uh, the intent is not to do anything to serve yourself, it's to serve two other people. Yeah. And that's a great and noble thing to do. And take the time to own the referral as well. So make sure that you follow up and make sure that the referral was good and learn, get feedback and don't take it personally. When someone says, I'll be honest, John, absolutely crap referral. Let me tell you why. It's all they're doing is you know, focusing on the behavior. So you learn. Things might be a little bit more nurturing, um, but you know, just tell the truth and don't get attached. That's key. Yeah, attachment and I think taking criticism and feedback so that next time it's better. Learn, yeah. learning. Yeah. yeah. Fabulous, amazing, insightful, overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> John, thank you. Yeah, pleasure as always, Marcus. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you're the owner or the CEO of a tech company with the goal of generating an annual ARR of 20 million or above, then at the moment I am helping companies just like you achieve genuine, sustainable hypergrowth, but making a profit and without any nasty side effects because you haven't thought through the unintended consequences. Net result, you get highly engaged and productive staff and clients who stick with you year after year and bring their wealthy friends. So if you're up for a brief and probably an uncomfortable conversation, I'm happy to share some of the ideas and strategies that can help you achieve these results. Email me, marcus at laughs-last.com or direct message me on LinkedIn. Thank you. Happy selling. Bye-bye.